0: All right, well, good morning. It's good to see you guys all here this morning, Labor Day weekend. I want to add my welcome uh, to all the welcomes that you have already uh, received. my name is Seth, I'm one of the pastors, and so if I have never gotten a chance to, to meet you, I would love the, the opportunity uh, to meet you. So if you're online as well, um, you know, hopefully someday we can we can meet you too. So, um, hey, we've been in this series um, called There Is More, uh, and you look at that graphic and you, um, you might say this, wow, nobody has explained that to me yet. <laughs> That's true. I'm aware of this. Uh, we will do it next week. <laughs> so come on back. (laughs) Um, So next week we have fall kickoff. And so what we've been doing is we've been kind of moving through this kind of short little mini-series, three weeks, uh, as we move into and ramp up for our fall ministry as we jump in and dive into um, you know, the book of Acts called Witnesses. And so you'll see how this little tiny series and Acts really fit together as we walk through that this next week as we introduce uh, that series. And so um, we're super excited. It's going to be a great time. Um, I'd love the, the chance to, to get to know you. So, um, but we started a couple weeks ago with this idea of worship, right? The This this theological foundation that we are designed to worship God and that the cosmos and the temple, we'll share a little bit more next week is how all that fits, but start with worship and then last week we moved to connecting and so kind of how we are posing this and, and kind of just... Um, I guess displaying this for you is that when you think about Jesus and his ministry, right? Like he has this massive uh, crowd that at times just follows him. And when they do, they tend to end up in rows, don't they? Kind of like what we are today. Um, and, uh, and that's a good thing. This is how we start and how we enter into church. But also then part of what Jesus does is he shifts it from rows to circles, right? Um, and this need for community, this interdependence as we lean into each other and rely on each other. It's so important, and so today, as we're gonna we're gonna kind of finish this this small series, we're gonna end kind of at the tip of that, the point of that, and we're gonna talk about serving. And so, kind of the way that I think about it is that you know I know that we probably have some people here who are guests or visitors, and maybe from out of town or whatever that is, and um, and so you might say, man, this is a day we're gonna talk about serving, and you know I don't I don't <laughs> live here. Uh, just take it with you, you know wherever. Wherever you go, wherever you're from, take these things with you. But as I think about this, as I think about serving in the church, I want you to, to think about it this way, that if you're serving in the church, um, you are the tip of the spear. Because you start with worship, and you connect, and you get down to the very front, and it's like that that pinpoint sharp sharp front. So as we greet people from the, from the front doors, as we serve coffee, as whatever, whatever it is that we're doing, we're leading life groups, uh, small groups, and kids' ministry, right? like you are the tip of the spear, if that's you. And so this morning, I want to talk about that, because I know there's a ton of people in this room um, who, um, who maybe aren't connected yet. And so maybe it's internally here or outside, outside the walls of church. We want to just talk about this, this natural growth that as we become and shaped into our Christ-likeness, how serving becomes this natural part um, of, of who we are and what we do. It's a high value uh, for us here at Salem is the idea of serving. And so, um, but here's the deal. I don't want to just talk about serving because whenever we talk about serving, it feels or tends to feel like we're just talking about needs, you know? And it's kind of like that token day where it's like they just need people. Like, you, like how many of you guys listen to the radio? Okay, a lot of people still do. That's good. Um, I don't know, support, support their business. I don't know what that means. Um, you know, but this idea of like listening to the radio, there are times um, where, you, where you listen to a certain station, all of a sudden it's like that giving time of year, you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, and it's like, man, I love your station, but I don't want to hear you talk about that for you know 23 hours out of 24 hours a day, right? And so we kind of shift off of it. And so it, sometimes it creates in us this this mm, like kind of tension, like I don't, like they just really want, they just want something from me. The reality is that that couldn't be further from the truth. That's not what we want. In fact, if you leave today, and if you think that there's any sense of obligation, you're like, I haven't served in, in ministry for five years okay, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll put in my time. If you have any sense of obligation, don't do it. Because that's not what we want. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about serving, but through a different lens. So I want to answer the question, like, why? And then later we'll talk about how. But the first question is why. Why? Why serve? That's a fundamental question, right? And it's not just filling needs. It's getting to the heart behind it. Okay? So why? Why serve? A couple of days ago, I got invited to a wedding and, uh, and so it was, by, it was Sarah Beck's wedding. Who's one of our very own here at Salem uh, is on our team, and uh, she was getting married. And so um, another couple from church said, "Hey, why don't you let's let's go out to dinner beforehand, and let's go uh, before we go to the wedding." We thought, "Oh, this is great. Let's do that." So we went out to dinner. You know, we get dressed up, and we're sitting in this restaurant. And then it's always weird when it's like it's like not a dressy restaurant, and yet you're the only ones dressed up, and everyone's looking at you funky. You know, it's like going to Olive Garden because that used to be high end, and now you like go in t-shirts and flip-flops. You know, and if you go and dress up, you're like. Nah, this weird. So we went in, sorry, we went into this restaurant, um, and here we're sitting, and, uh, and my wife is across from me, and she's in this beautiful blue dress. Right, would just accentuates the blue eyes and and her hair, like was like somehow it was like gl- like glowing. And what happ- whatever happened in the moment, like we're having this conversation. There's the four of us at this table, and and thankfully nobody noticed because it probably would have been really strange. But for a good 30 seconds, I lost all space of mind because I just sat there and stared at my wife, and I was like. It was super weird. Like, even in the middle of that moment, I was like, if somebody sees you, they're gonna think you're weird. And then I was like, I don't care. And my smile got bigger. And like, in my mind, I was like, I am married to the most beautiful woman in the world. Like, and it was like I fell in love all over again. It was so cool. Then we went to the wedding, right? And you see all these people start to, be, like, be walked down the aisles, right? And so up at the front is Christopher, who's about to marry Sarah. And Christopher, uh, he's got, like, 80% of his weight on his right leg and, like, 20% on his left leg. And he's, like, leaning into the aisle, waiting, waiting for his bride, <laughs> You know, and like his eyes are just fixated on the back of the room, just waiting, right? And his smile grows and grows and grows so much. This is great. This is so great. I don't even know if he did this, if he knows he did this. One of the groomsmen came and was trying to congratulate him, like trying to shake hands. And he's like, you know, like as he goes past, eyes never leave, (laughs) It was awesome. It was so great. He was like fixated on the end. He was waiting for Sarah, his bride. It's like he was like, I love you guys, but I don't really care about you right now. I care about her, right? And I, and I watched him, and I thought about the restaurant. I was like, I get you. You and me, we're on the same page right now, bro. I get it, right? We're in this. Fast forward 15 hours later, I go home. We go to bed. Wake up. Eden has been sick. She's just like going. It's not having a good time sleeping, and so the morning comes way earlier than I would have liked. And Eden starts to fuss. And Nikki from the other side of the bed goes, "Eden's fussing." <laughs> you, what do you what? You like like know where I'm going with this? Come on. Um, and so I, like that that all of that love you wish would just, like, blow out of you, and, and, you know, and yet, to my, to my own discouragement, uh, the words out of, my, out of my mouth were, I know I hear her too, <laughs> and so I'm waiting, I'm waiting for my wife to say, I'll go get her, but she doesn't say that, so there's this awkward silence, you know, and then she says this, it's like the unthinkable in that moment, she goes, Seth, I was up from three, or 12.30 to 3.30 with her would you please go get her? I'm, I'm, I'm wise enough. I mean, I'm half asleep, but I've been married long enough to know there are three answers to this question. <laughs> One uh, is no, and don't ever say that. That's bad, right? Um, it's, it's, it's your turn. No, don't ever say that. Um, second thing, I could say, yes, dear, out of the love of my heart, I will go do that and do it with joy. The third is a combination of the first two. <laughs> It's doing it, but without the love. <laughs> and, and I was amazed in that moment, Like as I got up and I started taking care uh, of the morning, getting everything going on this, this low rest, and all of a sudden I was amazed at what the Spirit told me, it was this. He took me back to the wedding and he was like, Seth, how quickly your motive to serve can shift from love to obligation. And that's not what we want ever Right? We don't want to be obligated to do these things. We want to do these things out of love, right? And so in order to understand love, if love is the answer to the question, why do we serve? Like, like why is it that we serve our spouses, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, or why is it that we serve in the church? The answer is love. But to, in order to understand love, we need to understand the gospel, and we have to keep coming back to this over and over and over. And so this morning, I'm going to go back to a passage and to some stuff that we covered in our fall series uh, called Rooted. And if you want to dive into that deeper, you can go back and you can look at that, but we're going to do some of it today. And you're like, Seth, that's kind of lame. We just did this a year ago. We could talk about this once a month and it wouldn't be enough. That's how important it is for us to understand what we're going to talk about this morning when it comes to love and the idea. Of serving, and here's the deal: I long, I, I long for us to be a church that holistically gets this right from every platform, every age, every breadth of everything that we do. The reality is is that it doesn't matter how good I teach it; it doesn't matter how clever I am, how many stories I have, how many drawings I have on this thing. It will never work until the Spirit does it in each of us. And so, this morning, I just want to invite you to 15 seconds of prayer in your space and say, God, would you stir something in my heart this morning? Go ahead. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we jump, as we're about to jump into this This text, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the depravity of ourselves apart from Jesus and that we would, with fresh eyes yet again, and even as we take communion at the end, that all of this would work together, that you would remind us um, that our life is not about us, that it's about you, and that it's only in Christ that we have a new life, and may we respond with joy and gratitude to that. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's a letter by Paul written to uh, the people that are in Ephesus, and again, we talked through this this entire book uh, this last fall, so you can go check it out. Uh, this morning, we're just going to walk through. We're going to spend a, a chunk of time in chapter two, and then these other two, we'll just just very, very briefly kind of glance through as we see kind of the way that the whole book ties together here. But I want us to start with chapter two, and it's this idea of like you need to know, understand the gospel. So if this sounds familiar, you know, it's okay. Just let it continue to sink in, let it sink in, okay? Chapter two, Uh, here's what it says in these first three verses. It says, and you were dead, okay, it's highlighted, we'll come back to that. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so come back to our board over here. So we're starting, obviously, in chapter 2. If we were to go back even into chapter 1, we would be reminded a little bit uh, about who God is, right, and his his space in and, and the, and the world and the realm in which he, he lives and his existence, and God uh, is a God uh, who is holy. And so there's the sense in which, you know, like in all of his life and all of his vibrancy, right, but he is totally set apart from us and sin cannot touch or, 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 or infiltrate this space because this is, this is who God is in all of his beauty and all of his perfection, okay? Um, but in chapter two, what's being described, right, is that there, there's these human beings as they enter into the story, right, that they're actually described very differently. And I don't have time to go into this in depth, but the reality is, is what he says, is that you were dead, okay? So you have all of the life and vibrancy, and then all of a sudden you have us, and you're like, ew, that's a, this like a, not a fun way to start um, this text, right? But in order to understand love, we have to understand humanity at its worst, Okay? That's super important. In order for you to understand love, you need to understand you at your worst, right? Um, and it describes this as being dead. And dead is, is, is a tough word uh, for us. Um, it's one of the few things in life uh, that, uh, that every human wrestles with and has to, has to grasp uh, that we are born and that eventually we will die, um, you know, you look into the Hebrew story back in Genesis, and I've mentioned this many times, but if you're new, so like what happened is that God creates all of everything, right? And then he brings mankind into existence by taking the dirt from the ground, right? Like it feels kind of unimportant, you know, as so we think, man, I'm this, you know, I'm- this is me. And he, God says, I, I formed you from the ground. The word in Hebrew is Adamah, and then he gives Adam the name Adam. And so it's like he distinguishes for Adam this, this, he, this centered humility for each of us that says, gosh, even in your name, be reminded of your humble beginnings. This is who you are, right? And as Sinder then enters into the world, right, what happens is that God says, from ground, from Adamah, you came to the ground, or Adama, Adam, will return, and it's this painful reality. In fact, this last week, I I can't tell you how many stories of people that I have just sat with and talked with on the phone who are wrestling with diagnosis for themselves, for somebody else, somebody in the church. Life stories, and you go, man, life is just so hard. The passing of a of a father, of a mother, of a sister—it's just this, this mortality is so painful for us to wrestle with, right? And here's the deal: as painful as that is, what the author here is actually talking about is something far deeper and far greater and far more important than your flesh. He's talking about your spiritual. He's dealing with your immortal, eternal soul. That's what he's talking about. You are spiritually dead. Why is that such a big deal? Again, we need to understand this. It's so desperate for us to understand this, right? Because here you've got God in his space, and now you've got mankind in his space, Okay? And it says that they were dead in their trespasses and their sins. Their, their trespasses, just, just for sake of reference, as you, as you think through this in your own life, a trespass um, here in this text is like this like one singular action or something that, that comes up like when you cheat on an exam or you're speeding and you see the cop and you're like, I don't care. You know, like whatever it is, there's these individual like acts. Sin in this passage is this reference for the for the, the totality of all of that, including your very nature, which is this rebellious state, dark state, um, in rebellion against God. Okay? And so it's very, very, very significant that we understand this is, there's these trespasses uh, and sins. Okay? How many of you guys have ever seen um, the movie Princess Bride? It's <laughs> great. That's so good. Okay. Um, Princess Bride. Good movie, right? Um, fun stuff. Uh, classic in, in many ways. Um, Princess Bride, there's this, if you don't know, you're like, spoiler alert, whatever. It's like 50 years old. Okay, guys? Um <laughs> Princess Bride. There's this guy. He's the main character, and at one point he, in the, in, the, in the story, he dies, and so what they do is that they bring him in in hope and desperation. They bring him to a healer, who's played by Billy Crystal, <laughs> who's just super funny. Um, and so what does he do? He takes this big like bag, like those things that used to like puff and blow into like fireplaces, or whatever. He puts that in the mouth, and then he pushes it and out of this, this dead body, he says, to them. do you remember this? Was that pretty accurate? I thought that was pretty good, yeah, yeah. Um, and so here's what he says. Billy Crystal says this. He says, um, it just so happens that your friend here is mostly dead. He's not fully dead. He's mostly dead, right? There's a big difference um, between, I guess, you know, um, between being fully dead and mostly dead. And yet, I think that for many of us as people, as humans, we wrestle with this because the world wants to believe that we are born good and that we choose good or evil as we go. The reality is, is that for each of us, the moment we enter into the world, we are separated from God because of the humanity's sin, and that's a very dark reality that's far more painful than physical death, right? And so, but the author continues. You're like, wow, as depressing as that is, the author goes on, right? He's like, hey, let me tell you some more. Um, He says, you follow two things in this world. You follow the patterns of this world, and you follow this ruler, prince of the power of the air, named Satan, And here's what's interesting uh, and somewhat ironic, not funny, but ironic, that people who live in this space, who don't know Jesus, think that their lives are built on freedom. But what does it say? Does it say that they're leading their own lives? He says that they're what? They're followers right? They're playing a great game of follow the leader. And the best part about it, the best part about this lie is that they have no idea that they're playing a game. It's Satan's way, right? He says, you're following these things. And what this looks like is that you're just walking in this circle, doing whatever you want over and over and over and over again. And it's depressing. And what it does is that it points out to us the depravity of this situation. Paul, the author, is painting as bleak of a picture as he can so that you can understand the love that it will take to change this reality. You get that? Because by nature, these are people that are in opposition to. God and everything that He is about, this is goodness and holiness, and this is selfishness, selflessness, selfishness and yet what God needs to do is he needs to enter into this story in a way that, that changes, ultimately changes uh, the, the narrative. And so as you look at it though, there are, there are some pictures of God, portraits of God that would say that this is how God works. Like he has his space and, and here's our space and, and yet God's not gonna enter into the space because we had a chance and we blew it and so he's like, tough luck. Deal with it yourself, Right? And yet, that is not the way that it ultimately is. But here's what's so important. I think that for each and every single person in this room, myself included, this is why it's so important that probably the, the, the most important part of your rhythm in every single day is this. Wake up and reteach yourself the gospel. Because the moment that you forget this is the moment you start drifting into other things. So incredibly important that we wake up and remember, this is my story. So whether you came to know Christ at 5 or 55 or 105, that's your story. You're separated from God. You're dead. Not mostly dead. It's not like Jesus came to the operating table. He's like, good news, you're only 99.9% dead. He says, no, you are fully 100% dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins, and what should be hard for us as people, as Christians, it should trouble us that this is the story for billions of people as well. It's so painful. It's a hard, dark, harsh, brutal, painful reality. this is who we were. And yet this is why it's so important because we God is going to introduce his intentions with humanity in these next two words. okay look at this in verse 4. it says this. it says but God. <laughs> Okay, if you pause there for a second, the word but is a con- is a contrast word, isn't it? Like it sets up two, two contrasts. And because I was thinking about this, uh, you know, these last couple days and thinking about how I even responded to my my wife as Eden was fussing, you know, um, if you're going to, like I can't, I can't pass up on like giving good counsel here in this moment, okay? Um, if you're going to enter into a relationship and you're going to confess something or ask for forgiveness from somebody, um, here's what you don't do. You don't say the words if, but, or maybe, right? Why? Because when you do that, so like, just for example, you say, "Hey, um, hey, so and so, you know, when I said that, that was wrong of me. I'm sorry." But had you not, we do this, don't we, all the time? But if, but maybe. Right? These words, what do they do? They, they acknowledge that you're owning something, but you're only willing to own it to a degree. To a degree. Because then what you're communicating is, I'll take 50%, but guess what you need to do? <laughs> you see how I got out of that? That's what we do. We do it all, of the, all of the time right? And so here's the deal. When we use those words, that creating that contrast, what we're doing is that we're reworking the conversation back in our favor. But here's what I want you to notice about what happens in this text. Nowhere does God do this to rework back to his favor. It's a positive. It says, here you are at your worst, but here's what I'm going to do. But God Verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead. There's that word again, in our trespasses, right? Even when, like to the lengths of God, like enters into the stories like, Seth, do you want to know how far I'm willing to go? This is it, right here. You know why? Because this is the worst possible case scenario. You have no life. No spiritual life in you whatsoever. You're dead. You can't do anything about it. I can't just give you rules. I can't just give you medicine. I have to do it for you. And it's like God enters in in this moment, and he's like, guess what? I have the power to do this, and, and I, I won't allow it to stop me. But guess what? Not only can I save you, I choose to save you. This is incredibly Powerful thing that God shows the length to which he would go. And then he gives us three things, right? He says he will raise us up uh, with him. Uh, excuse me, or he made us alive together with Christ. Uh, He raises us up and then he seats us together with him. And I don't think we get the picture of this because not many of us, probably none of us, have seen someone who is fully dead come back to life. Can you imagine being one of the disciples with Jesus when he went to raise Lazarus from the dead? Which, by the way, is just a physical thing, not a spiritual thing, right? But like you go to this table and you see Lazarus and his body is rigid, and cold, and there's no life in his eyes. That I have seen, and it's hard. But when Jesus enters in, and when he works his love through his power, can you imagine seeing Lazarus go, (gasps) like, they talk about miracles? That's the miracle here, that God can take something and make nothing, and he can take dead and make it alive. Need to understand that. That's your story. That's the possibility for your story. But not only right? Are you made alive? He raises us up and he seats us together with Christ. And so all of a sudden we begin to realize that everything that God did for Jesus, he did exactly for us. But on top of that, because of our sin, right, we've received mercy and love and grace and kindness, which is why in verse nine, when he comes down to the end of this passage, he says, oh, by the way, if you were tempted to boast, guess what? You can't because this ain't about you. You can't do this. At no point in this conversation as a dead person were you like, you can't do that. God has to be the one who enters in zero part contributor from me. It's this free gift to us that we receive. It's this incredibly deep cost to Jesus. And here's what I want you to notice. Guys, none of that would be possible apart from Christ's Posture to serve. Did Jesus need to leave heaven to do that? No. Did he leave heaven out of obligation? Like the father and Jesus are having conversations. conversation. It's like father and son, like a teenage boy, and the father's like, hey, you want to go? No. You should go. Oh, fine, I'll go. Not, not the way that it is says I go, I choose to go out of love. And none of that would be possible apart from his posture to serve, which is not an an obligation, but love. We've got to be a people who understands this as the Holy Spirit is working this in our life. Because so oftentimes, I think that that for we as Christians, myself included, we end up believing in this reduced or truncated version of the gospel. And here's what I mean, right? You see God, who's in this space, and then there's humanity. God, in all of his graciousness and mercy, says, I'm not going to make you come to me. I'm actually going to go to you, right? It's this incredible move by God. But when we think about the gospel, we think about this life-giving stuff that God gives us, we oftentimes focus on three things. One, the first one, is his death, right? You see, the death is where Jesus takes all of the sins of the world, right? And he pulls them into himself, and he bears them so that we don't have to. He bears the penalty of sin, which is death on our behalf, so that we don't have to. Huge part of the gospel, absolutely. This is where forgiveness of sins comes from. But then when we think about the gospel, we transition, and then we think about the burial. And then, what do we think about? Easter. Easter. The resurrection, this is where like the forgiveness of sins comes into application because now we have this new life that's given to us. And I look at this and I go, wow, that is an amazing, unconditional love. But guess what? If this is our version of the gospel, this is a really cozy place to be. You know why? Because it doesn't require anything. You see, oftentimes I think we end up missing the other pieces of the gospel. What about the birth of Jesus? You see, the birth of Jesus is where this whole thing started, right? It's this missional attitude that starts in this space and says, I'm going to go to them, right? What about the ascension, right? The ascension, the end of ministry, just says, I'm going back to the Father, guess what? I'm going to go back over here. But he says, I'm going to leave the church with a mission, So if we leave out the birth, we miss his mission to us. If we leave out the ascension, we miss that the church is the vehicle for the gospel to the rest of the world. Last thing is this. Maybe you can't read that, but this whole thing is centered around the life of Jesus. And if you remove the life of Jesus from the gospel, I can have the coziness of all of this without ever having to be conformed. this. And we miss the holistic gospel. Does this require things from us? Yeah. Is it about your salvation and your eternal place in heaven? No. That's what these are for. But there's a greater calling and a bigger thing in which we are meant to live for. Hence, there is more. There's more. You see, so oftentimes we're tempted, I think, to listen to the first nine verses of chapter two, and we miss verse 10, which says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You ever stop and wonder, okay, that's so great. What are good works? What are those things? Let me tell you that we should walk in them. Next, oh wait, I, did I just mess that up? I did. I just messed it up. That's my fault. That's my fault. I'll come back to that in the end. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, when we miss verse 10, what we miss is that the gospel begins with the mission of God and it ends with the mission of the church. All being centered and conformed to the person and to the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. And see, all of a sudden what we're doing is that we begin to reframe this tension between obligation and love. Because we came to say, gosh, when you look at serving, what is serving? What what are good works? It's serving like Jesus did. Right? When you think about it, like this is what he did. And if he says, this is what I've created you for, and we're meant to to imitate and mimic that same pattern as God, which we'll see in chapter five. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Crazy good, but we reframe the tension between love and obligation. And this is where this goes really fast, these last two things, right? Because chapter three, here's what, I, here's what he says. He says, it's not just about knowledge. This is not just about a gospel that you know. It's about a gospel that you experience. Here's what it says in verse 14. I'm just gonna read this out. And I'm gonna get on my knees because this is what the passage says. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth and get this. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses what? Knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then catch this glimpse of the largeness of what God wants to accomplish. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, here's what he says. He says, I want you to know I want you to know the love of Christ in a way that surpasses knowledge. It's so important for us to understand, comprehend, and wrestle with the gospel. But that's not enough for the Christian. What he says here's what I want you to do I want you to step into the unconditional love daily, over and over and over. Forgive and f- be forgiven over and over and over. He says, I want you to experience it. So it's not just knowledge. It's also the sense of experience. So much so that when people see us, they think, man, those people, maybe they don't have the words for it, but they go, those people are rooted and grounded in love. They have something that I don't have. Right? And this is significant, this is important for, for a couple of reasons. But here, think about this, right? When you think about knowledge and experience, and I just want you to just to wrestle with this in your brain for a second, maybe write it down. Because this may not be true all of the time, but there's a potential for this being very true. And it's this is that the moment that one generation assumes the gospel, the next generation will lose it. Why? Because if you assume the gospel, not that important. And you don't live it. And if you're not living it, then no one else is watching you live it. And if no one is watching you live it, then the way of life is not being transferred. The moment one generation assumes the gospel is the moment that the next generation loses it, which brings us to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Says therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Right? You go, man, what are good works? We're moving towards obedience here, right? We once walked in a formal way. Now he says, I want you to walk in love. How am I supposed to do that? He says, take the posture of Jesus, who was a servant, who loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to sin. How many times do you hear that on the sales pitch and go, I'm in. I want to sacrifice. But when we understand the love that we've been given, it changes everything. We understand it and experience it. It changes everything. And we choose to serve not out of obligation, but out of love. I heard this line um, recently, and I think this is fascinating. And it was this. And I think that we're far enough removed from the pandemic that we can talk about this without causing too much stress, okay? Here's the deal. It says this. The pandemic spread so rapidly because of potency, um, potency, proximity and duration. You get that? Potency, proximity, and duration. So it's like this is something we've never been exposed to before. So it's entered in, right? It became like all-consuming, and then it made it worse because we're all together, and then it lasted forever is what it seemed like. Here's my question. What if you take that, you make it positive, and say, what if the same were true about Jesus? Because you look at the love that we've been given and you go, wow, that is potent. You think about how powerful that love is. And the more I wrestle and I find that love, I go, I'm going to take that. And guess what? I'm going to bring myself really close to you. And all of a sudden, there's this proximity factor. And then it's not just Sundays. It's not Wednesdays. It's I'm going to spend time with you over a period of time. And guess what? At the end of that, this way of life, this unconditional love begins to transfer to people. It's incredible. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. So here's the deal. As we wrap up, I want to flip the narrative here. Okay, I want to flip the narrative, and instead of talking about serving, I don't want you to think about things that you're obligated to do. Don't think about it just as a needs-based things. I want you to start thinking about life transformation. We're going to shift from serving to investing. Somebody got it? Investing because I love vests. I love wearing vests. If I could share my love with vests of you, I would. You see me wearing them, you're like, "Yeah, it's like it's hot out." I know. I just love vests, okay? Leave me alone. Here's the deal. What if we took that love for Jesus and we started investing in people. And it doesn't matter if you're a coffee server, you're a greeter, right? You're a love group leader, you are a worship person, you're a prayer person, whatever. You become the tip of the spear because you say this, I understand God's love for me. I I am embracing and experiencing it. And guess what? I'm walking in it. And now I want to focus that into people. I want to invest in people. And it's not, I just want to check a box. It's like, I want to jump into that. Why? Because I want to be a part of something bigger than me. And if you're a guest, that's okay. Take it, take it with you. But I want to flip that script because here's the deal. As we wrap this up, okay, there's, there's three different ways you can view life. There's, well, there's tons of ways, whatever. Here's one way. Your life is a timeline. It's just this random, flat collection of stories Kind of boring. The bio line says this, there is a day in which I will peak. After that, life is terrible. There's this, from the moment I'm born, I grow in my stature as I follow Jesus and at each moment, high and low, I have all of these opportunities to impact people and invest. So why serve? Because you love God. How do you serve? By investing in people. Guys, you know what distinguishes this one from these? Is that these are always looking backwards. This has no high points. It's nothing fun. This is always looking back to days when the good old days were behind us. This one says the best is yet to come. So whatever your age, you begin to see yourself as a tool in God's kingdom and how we impact starting right here at church. How incredibly cool is that? Let's take a look at this, these quick slides. These are just... 30 seconds here, areas that you can invest, kids, youth, adult groups, local outreach, spoiler alert, community gardens coming 2023, property of Salem, uh, global missions coming up in Nicarag- to Nicaragua in February, a couple things that are not on here. Um, one, we've been growing this friendship and partnership with Ellen Hopkins, which is a school nearby. Some of the things that they need um, is that they need people to show up and be bu- uh, reading buddies and lunch buddies with kids. What if Salem embraced that? And they were like, man, where are you from? Salem. That person's from Salem. That person. That's just what we do. It's incredible. Another thing that's not on here is our men's group who have been serving other people. This last week I heard about a family who's been wrestling with cancer for a long time. They've had their floors completely ripped out and just walking on concrete, a group of guys who said, I'll fix that. And they came over and put in all the floors, and now they have that. It's beautiful. Beautiful picture. Two more sides. this other one here. Um, These are some of our strategic partners. These are outside the walls of the church that we would love for you guys to be involved in, not just in Salem, but through Salem. And last is this we still have just a couple of things that we need right now. And again, I don't want you to do any of this out of obligation, but we need, we need camera operators, we need sound people, we need people for kids, small group leader for kindergarten, first and second grade. We need a Sunday kids, a ministry greeter. We need a large group leader at 1030 for the fifth and sixth grade. We need substitute leaders. Guys, we're always looking for more life group leaders, right? We're look, there's, there's so many ways for you to invest, in, and I encourage you to go back out into the ministry fair right after this. And and if you're here, just consider how my God want to use me to invest in people.